Hey folks, welcome back. This is Elliot and Andy with the Poor Pearls Almanac. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can find us on Patreon if you're enjoying what we're doing here and you'd like to help us cover the cost of hosting some of these podcasts. We don't explicitly offer any of our traditional content focused on specific goals of the podcast to our Patreons in terms of limited access or anything like that right now. Knowledge is for everyone. But we have started up a Patreon-only miniseries called The Prologues, during which we'll do some critiques on various ecological subject matters. We've also included clips of this entire series up on the Patreon as well, so if you want to hear stuff from all of the episodes, go over there and check it out. On top of this content, we've got stickers available, and we're including some footage from Andy's farm, putting the theory that we talk about into practice. So if you want to see what's going on over there and some animals like Icelandic sheep and ducks and turkeys, check out the Patreon. Any support we can get to offset our actual costs, we fully and wholeheartedly appreciate. So please, again, check us out. We're also on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to follow us over there. And we have a Discord up and running that is live. Good discussion going on over there. Good people. Yeah. So in this episode, we talked with Morgan Swanson from the Tractor Hacking GitHub project, where they start looking at some of the issues of John Deere tractors and an issue that's springing up more and more in technology as we fuse these worlds of IT with traditional infrastructure like automobiles and tractors and things like that about the right to be able to repair and even just understand what's going on with this technology and the bigger implications that these types of concepts play in terms of intellectual property. Right. We go on to talk about things like uh, ownership to intellectual property and what it means to, um, you know, truly act, own something. Truly own something. Yeah. yeah. If, if you've paid for it, uh, what is actually the value of the product itself and what can you do with any ideas that you have without product following the transaction? The general conversation stems around this idea of open source and open access and what that means and how you could say the markets that and the infrastructure that exist in our economy are designed to appropriate some of these understandings of what it means to access. And um, if there's a, a gray market or a black market that challenges that, how that movement kind of gets co-opted by organizations and corporations to try to create a, a new market and to cr create a new uh, product to purchase, which is a little bit of what we're starting to see in this, um, this open source project. So it's a really great conversation and it highlights some of the issues that exist right now and kind of gives, gives us a glimpse of what the future can hold in terms of open access to this type of technology. So we hope you enjoy this episode. Yeah, and we hope you like uh, racing tractors. Raise hail, praise Dale. We're going to cut that out. What? <laughs> Hi, Morgan. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us about the John Deere Hacking Project. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and this project and kind of where it came from? Absolutely. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm a computer engineering and computer science student at Cal Poly, and I started working on this project after seeing some of like the documentaries online from, from Vice and otherwise about the right to repair and how this was a big problem. And I was actually approached by some, from some people at iFixit, Kyle Weens. They um, really advocate for right to repair, and they noticed that this was a big problem. And from there, I was, I was really interested. And this was probably three years ago now. And I started really digging into this problem and researching what actually would be technically required in order to solve this problem for farmers. 
So exactly what's going on with John Deere in terms of accessing the technology? So basically, there's two main problems that we can talk about. And one is more of an easy problem. And one is a bit harder. So the first problem is the, the information problem. And I think that's actually a bit of an easier problem to solve. Uh, and this problem is about the fact that you have a bunch of data that's on this tractor that talks about what's going on with it. But this data is not accessible to, to farmers and people that might use that data to improve their farming equipment. So, so this problem is, is, is difficult in the sense that there's not a lot of information out there. And so we see that the way it's solved today is through farmers, you know, having networks and communities where they share information together. So we see tractor forums online propping up where someone will post, I see this code, the 5E, some, some code number, and then they'll talk about how they go about fixing that problem. Now, there's not a central location that is accessible where all of these codes and all of this diagnostic information is kept. Now, there is a standard from the Society of Automotive Engineers uh, about these codes and what they mean. These standards are, are paywalled because, you know, this pro intellectual property of Society of Automotive Engineers. So this makes it inaccessible for like someone that's not, you know, already like research, active research and that type of thing. So that's a bit of a problem. And then on the, on the other hand, is even if they have access to these codes, if they don't know you know, um, they're not like pretty knowledgeable about like mechanical and electrical, you know, how that works. It's not likely that they'll be able to just with that by itself, fix whatever problem they're having with their tractor. And so that's a problem that that is a bit easier in the sense that it's an information problem. Um, and it's and it is a bit of a legal problem too, right with these this like intellectual property thing, but it's a bit easier. And then the second problem is more of the hardware problem, which is like access to the software on the tractor. And so, so this is a problem that is harder to solve in the sense that there's actual technological difficulty in getting access to the, the tractor itself. Um, and so that's something where basically, similar to what we saw with like the iPhone 10 years ago, where the iPhone came out and someone was able to have access to the software that's running on the iPhone. Um, and it's called like a jailbreak for the iPhone. Mm -hmm. and, and the way that was a technological hurdle to overcome. And then there was a legal battle that ensued after that. And basically for a while, it was illegal to, to jailbreak the iPhone. And then it, it slowly has been changing now to where it is legal now to jailbreak the iPhone. And it just for its warranties or what have you. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like you, you, but you don't go to jail for it or get sued for it or anything like that. Right. It, it's a it's an intellectual property problem again, where they say because they have they own own the software running on it. In order for you to modify the software, you first have to have access to the software, and then that's a copyright problem. And so that's using the DMCA. Um, and this is changing. We're getting exemptions from iFixit. There, iFixit is doing a lot of this. They're getting these exemptions um, one at a time from from lawmakers to say, okay, your um, tractors, for example, are exempt for a certain time box now from this law. So if we were to gain access to, to the tractors, like software, that wouldn't be illegal for the time being. Okay. So there's a, to, to put it all together, there's a, a diagnostics issue where there is a standard for these machines, parts, what have you breaking down and they throw codes. Nobody knows what the codes mean because John Deere has that information and that's locked, kept away. And then 
you're also saying the diagnostic to read those codes and to tell you to, to translate those codes into plain English, that software is also locked away behind a paywall as well? Yeah, so it's pretty expensive. Like there are a couple products on the market today that you can buy that will allow you to connect to a tractor, read the data from the tractor and get it in plain English as a diagnostic. And these are really, they're, they're very expensive. Um, like you can go online and there's one called like Joltist is a company that makes these. And they're like six grand um, for one of these things. You have to buy a laptop and a bunch of stuff. And I don't know why it's that expensive. I think it's again, like a software problem where they like people have like the monopoly on repair from a software sense. And so I guess that's what it costs to get that software. Um, yeah, so someone at John Deere said, if we charge this much, we'll make more money than keeping it proprietary. So we'll sell it for that much and only a handful of people will buy it, but we're going to make a bunch of money on that handful of people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's a business, yeah, it's a business decision. Definitely. Um, but I mean, there's not, I don't think inherently the software itself to read diagnostic codes. Like, I mean, I think that could be independently invented. Um, and so that's kind of what the initial purpose of the tractor hacking project is to do is to, you know, independently invent a piece of software that can connect to a tractor of any type and read the codes and translate them into a language that makes sense to a farmer. So you're almost like reinventing the wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because we, we want to, we, we want to make sure that we're not, we're not actually like taking anything like we're, this is in like stuff we're creating on our own. Um, and we have the tractor, it's an artifact that we can look at and say, okay, what, what do these messages mean that's that are there? And, uh, and in a sense, we can also leverage that intellectual property from the Society of Automotive Engineers to like understand the data. But the thing is, we can never, we can't like distribute that on mass that would be like a violation of like our agreement with them to have that to have that information right now has this project you said it's uh, got some support has there been any support from um like the farming community or any pushback or anything like that it's you know it's really interesting because this project was started as a as an engineering challenge um very much what can we find out about the tractor from investigating it and looking at it and researching the tractor? Um, and this was how it started. Now, this is clearly like a very different area than the area that most farmers are concerned with on a day-to-day -day basis. They're, most farmers are concerned with going out into the field, getting their work done. Um, they don't really have time for, for research problems and stuff like that. So it's we are slowly working our way towards the farming community. Um, and that's something that I've been working on recently is the first half of like tractor hacking in this open source project was very much focused on engineers. Like how can we get engineers to work on this problem? And uh, recently for the past like year or so, I've been working on like how can we get farmers on board for this? Like, how can we like try to involve farmers in such a way that we can really understand the struggles that they have and build something that makes sense to them? So we, we've just now been starting to like really speak to farmers. In, in San Luis Obispo, there are farmers, um, but there aren't a lot of big farms where you see like big pieces of equipment uh, and stuff. So it's a bit tricky to get contacts, so. Sure. How about from the hacking community? 
Yeah. So this is actually, again, a pretty recent um, development is we were basically doing this like completely like under the radar, like no one had really recognized like what we were working on. Um, I think there was like one article um, where we were like cited somewhere. And then there was some prominent, some prominent hackers, um, like uh, um, I think Dark Tangent, the guy from uh, DEF CON, he um, stumbled upon like this problem and he opened up like a uh, a forum on their their website for uh, for farm hacking wow. and that was like really exciting right. right because it's like we're starting to get you know some people really smart people looking at this problem and like i said i'm i think that i'm pretty well equipped to solve the, the first problem which is you know how do we get the diagnostic codes to make sense to a farmer how do we get that information and then give it to a farmer so that they can actually get back to work um and then this harder problem of how can we actually liberate the farmer from like this software lockdown um, and actually give them access to their own equipment again. Right. That's a hard problem. <laughs> right. And so it's really great to see that like hackers, people that know like hardware hacking and, and this type of stuff, like looking at this, um, seriously looking at this problem and trying to figure out how we can get, um, you know, access to, to their vehicle again. So I think it's really great to see still very in the early stages. Um, we saw the first development um, since, since that forum opened, which is like, we were like the only post on there. It was like the tractor hacking stuff. And then we saw the, the hacker sick codes with um, Willie Cade and Kevin Kenny, who are um, two like right to repair people along with sick codes. They found a, a vulnerability in the John Deere API actually. <laughs> Um, which was able to like leak some public information. So not directly relevant to um, what we're looking at, which is like the hardware on the machine, but also, you know, progress is being made in terms of looking at and understanding John Deere software. Um, so I think that's really exciting. And I think that we've just started to see what's, what the potential is in this community. And is that related to, um, I had read some stuff about some Ukrainian hackers that were involved and selling access to farmers that had John Deere's and they would say, you know, I've got this code and they would sell whatever, like a patch or whatever it was, so they could override it and do whatever they needed to do to fix their tractor. Yeah, I, I, I am not really, I'm not knowledgeable about that specific area. I've also heard that that's some, an alternative that farmers are using, um, where they basically have access to the same software that John Deere has. Um, but yeah, this is like clearly like, this is definitely legal legal trouble to, yeah. to do that. And they're putting themselves at risk by doing so. So yeah, I definitely wouldn't advocate for using illegal software. Um, I think that there, we need to find a way to do this in a way that is like actually good for farmers, right? Because I mean, they're taking a risk by doing that. And so I'd really want to see a solution that's better. That's not that we can do better than that, I think. Right. Sure. So you used the right word before when you said um, liberation, because it seems like they've purchased these machines to do their work and they work for however long the brand name is good for. But as they start to break down, rather than being forced to pay for a new machine and and forced to deal with planned obsolescence and all of these things um they should be able to fix what's already there is what they've already paid for if they're you know what what's the difference rather than putting the investment or down payment down on a new tractor versus putting in the money to saving what you already have 
uh, you should be able to make that choice as a farmer, as any worker. And um, it, it doesn't seem like that's on the table right now. So that that's where the liberation comes into play, where that choice should be available and it should be um, it, it shouldn't be a legal battle to ha- to have that. Yeah, and I think it challenges or it forces John Deere to show its hand a little bit by saying, if you don't do it, like we're we're going to show that an alternative is possible, whether or not it's legal, that this is something that with enough uh, support and infrastructure, people will find a way around it. So which I guess kind of brings me to my question about John Deere's role and interest and response to what you guys are doing and kind of the this uh, this open source kind of project. I mean, we, as far as I know, I haven't seen, I don't know of anything from John Deere regarding this project. Okay. So they've been, so, yeah, I mean, do, they do haven't you think they're aware of it me. or do you think it's not even on their radar? I don't know. You know, I'm really curious to know. Um, I mean, I don't really think that, like, you know, I think that it's great. You know, obviously they're aware of, of I fix it and the legal, the legal fight that they're doing, right. That they're, they're very aware of that. But now I think this technological thing, I think, I think it's a bit, a bit of a different approach, right? As you as you pointed out, is it's it's not a, 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 a like a legal fight. It's more of like, oh look, this is possible. Like you don't have to do it this way, um, and that's a fight that is often won under the radar normally, right? Like you you see with like whenever there is a big technological innovation, it seems to come from nowhere, um, but it's not. That's not the case. It's just that it's it's not sexy you know (laughs) in the same sense that you know public speaking and orating and and this like um, legal battle is you know it requires a legal challenge in our democracy requires a lot of eyes on the problem because you need people to support any movement legally but the cool thing about technology is as long as you have like the basic funding and you get a couple people that are on board to make it happen you can you can do it without large large public support and then once you prove it works then that's when you can scale it up yeah, it's um, it you know, tech is like the opposite of anything I know. I, I'm old enough to remember like when we were kids and like you had to fix your computer, like you had to fix it because <laughs> that's how it was. And I I just like imagine that it, we've kind of done a a 180, and then another 180 where tech became like the iPhone, where it's like oh, you buy this thing and when it dies, you toss it. You can't fix it. It's designed because you don't want to fix it. And then when you're done with it, you move on. And now we're kind of doing another 180 where it's like, you know what? Actually, let's rethink about this and figure out what we can do to hack something to be able to work on it like we used to work on it, even though the technology isn't really designed for that anymore. Right. Well, I'm thinking about the word innovation. Um, Morgan, you use the word innovation. And it seems like John Deere... Um, with the products they're coming out with, it's forcing the customers to innovate their own solutions to these problems. And it seems like John Deere is, you know, failing to come through on that part of it, whether that's a missed opportunity or, or missed profits on their part. Why is it not really being addressed? You know what I mean? The, yeah, the, and- the farmers are the, the, I keep saying farmers, but any, the customers, the people who are buying the tractors are the people who end up having to pay for it again after they've already paid for it. It, it seems like a... Um, yeah, it, it reminds me of like when we... I don't know if like before torrents were a thing and like we were in, I don't know, high school when Napster was around. Napster, um, oh my God. But like the reason why things like Netflix took off is because of Napster. 
essentially what Netflix did and all these other streaming services, they co-opted this movement. Like, why am I going to take the risk of getting, you know, find a million, whatever it is, hundreds of thousands of dollars per song or whatever to download it. Or I can just get like iTunes, like, I don't know, is it called iTunes Pro or whatever for music or like Spotify Premium or whatever or Netflix and for $7 a month or $9 a month, I don't have to deal with that risk. And, and it kind of co-opted that movement away from the idea of owning physical copies and making things accessible in a really decentralized way. This feels a lot like that movement where maybe a John Deere or all these other companies, because John Deere is really not the only one doing stuff like this, mm-hmm. where they're really looking to change the business model in a sense that you might not ever own the technology like the technology is the unit to like or like a an internet router like you don't most people don't buy a router you rent it from your cable company because you need it and it's not included in the service like that's a function of it where now the 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 tractors themselves are almost that functional piece and then you need those software components that's a monthly service or something like that Mm -hmm. like that that kind of is the feeling i've been getting from a lot of this type of stuff so you think it's nickel and diming it kind of in like you know reallocating the the profits in a way that um kind of smooths out the annual sales and things like that it also allows for them to minimize the reason why you might want to hold on to a piece of equipment longer and try to keep it running because you're going to pay that monthly fee whether or not it's a new piece of technology or an old piece of technology. You know, I really like I really like a lot of the things that you said. Um, I kind of want to build on the first. So the first thing that you said, which I completely agree, and I've also understood to be the case, is that whenever there's a legal gray market or black market, that is that is a market opportunity. That is people saying, I'm willing to risk legal repercussion because there's no solution out there for me. Right. And that's and that, exactly that, what you that's said what makes Napster. that's what makes the value for it is because, you know, it might be a solution to a problem that's not out there, but it might be sort of it is. It's just not being articulated. Right. I think. Right. Right. And so, you know, I'm yeah. So that's in the past year I've been working on I've been working on a on a company that will, you know, solve this problem um, in a sense. And and the reason to making a company is the fact just the fact that, you know, you need some financial resources in today's in today's world in order to build these solutions and to get those financial resources you need people that are want to make a profit off of those resources so that's kind of the the area the way that i'm going and it's exactly what you said is that i my vision for the future is to not have the tractor be locked down by one manufacturer i think that it stifles as you said innovation to do so i think that you know the tractor is a piece of equipment that does a function kind of like you said again with the router right it has a function and then software can do all kinds of stuff with that function, right? Like you have you have a phone, and if if I mean people even talk about Apple today as being a bit monopolistic with the App Store, but the point is that anyone can run anyone can run you know software on your phone. Like you can, and that's innovative, right? It allows you to choose. It allows each consumer the ability to choose what products they support and don't support on their phone, and. I'd like to see a future where farmers can make that choice for themselves. Uh, you know, they're independent business owners. They know what value is to them. And like you said, um, having a software be a, be a subscription that um, each buyer can say, you know, I don't really like this software. It's actually making it really hard for me to get my job done. I don't need the software anymore. And, and they could remove it from the, from, the, from, the, from the tractor if they wanted to, you know, or, or if there's another piece of software that works better for what they're doing, 
then they could use that software. And right now we're in a place where farmers don't have the technology to be able to make that choice. And I'd like to see a future where farmers have the ability to make that choice, like have an open, an open ecosystem of farming software. Yeah. And to clarify with the software, what is it limiting exactly? So basically the software that's running on your tractor has mechanisms in place in the, the, the chip of the software that prevents it from being modified or read. So in other words, you have a piece of software running on a, a computer mm -hmm. in the tractor that controls its operation. That piece of that piece of software is locked down in a, in a real sense in the proverbial black box. Right. You can't see how it works and you don't have the right to modify it because it's physically built in such a way that it can't be modified. Now, John Deere, of course, needs to modify the software. If there's a if there's a bug in the software or if something's wrong with the software, John Deere needs to, to fix it. So what they've built is a mechanism so that they can have access to fix it. And this is a software mechanism. So they're using some type of you know, way of, of getting and doing that, but it's locked down. So only they have access to modification of the software, which is it's ridiculous when you really think about it. Cause it's not like they own the tractor. Like you own the tractor, um, you buy the tractor and it's your computer, but you don't have access to changing the software on your own computer. And it's very interesting to think about. And it's again, because of this new DMCA stuff kind of changing and getting exemptions, it's it's really not illegal to change the software. It's just that it's a physical, it's like a technological challenge. How do we actually go in and change the software? Yeah. And like, how much does the software actually control? So, I mean, there's different parts. There's many different um, computers on a tractor and each one controls different things, right? But the main one that we're looking at um, is just the basic control of the tractor. So that would just be like the electronic, like the engine control unit, right? So this controls like the fuel air mixtures and just like getting, making the engine run. The engine runs and it's much more efficient to run an engine with a computer as opposed to with mechanical components. So, you know, it's really great that we have this technology because, you know, it's, it's, it's saving like, um, it's making it more efficient, right? It's good for, for everyone that we have efficiency. But I think that, now we've reached a point where we're like, okay, this is enough efficiency. John Deere decides this is the level of efficiency that we think is best for your farm. And you want to change that? No, you don't have the option of changing it. Um, and then there is the legal thing where you don't want to pollute above the limit, you know, that's been legally mandated by the government. Right. Um, and so I think that obviously like that's something some people say that like, if they're given the opportunity to, they will change their tractor to pollute um, illegally. Um, but it's just, that's just so against, you know, like, our, like the way our government works, like we don't control people to prevent them from breaking the law. We, we have laws. And then if they break them, they're held accountable for those, for those, um, <laughs> like, 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 I guess if they violate the law, they're held accountable for that. Right. In theory. And, and so I don't think that we should be like babying people and saying, oh, you don't, you, you, like you're, you're, we can't trust you to control your own tractor. I think that if they decide that they want to do something that's illegal, they, they, I mean, that's not cool, but they should have the freedom to decide. Sure. Right. right. So to bring this to a philosophical conversation, then, you know, they, you own the computer that's on your tractor and they own the data that your computer processes and runs on. You can't have that. So like it becomes a, a thought crime, basically the laws that they have, it becomes a thought crime for you to figure out a way to diagnose and fix your own 
tractor without asking for John Deere say so, right? Like that's that seems like such a... It's a bit more nuanced than that because it's not that you don't, you can't know how to solve the problem, right? That's what's cool about, about the way our laws work. Anyone can know how to solve a problem, but to look at how someone else is doing it, that's like where, okay, now you can't do it anymore. So like, and the problem is because the tractor's locked down from us being able to rewrite the software. Um, it's like, we, we don't have a choice of using other software, right? And that's the technological problem. But then the, the legal problem, like you said, if you want to use the crime is that in order for us to create new software, we kind of have to see how things are working in there so then we can have access to it. And, and, and so that's where that would be, you know, like a legal difficulty. And that's a hard problem again. So I, I don't want to touch that because I know it's like, it's really hard right. and as far as like, me, my vision of like having an open ecosystem, I'd rather focus on just creating something new, creating right. something better. But hackers are super into this other problem of like, what can we do today to give farmers access to their software? Right. And so you're saying the way things are now legally, you're forced to start from ground zero. You can't take a look at what's already been done before yeah, to, so to sort of fix this problem, which is obviously what makes it exciting for, for you because that's truly the innovation to it. That yeah. That's exciting. The, the law is designed to try to almost catfish you into doing something illegal to do something legal. Right. It, it's insane. <laughs> well, yeah, it's interesting because you see in other countries where copyright laws are different. Um, like, an example, in China, you know, there are much more intellectual property basically does isn't a thing in China. And um, so you see that there's a lot of innovation, um, very quick innovation. People just copy each other and, and make things. And there's a lot of competition and innovation. Um, but then you also see where, like, it's hard because then, you know, someone that invents something that really is novel and is really good for society, they're not able to, you know, benefit from their invention. And so it's a really difficult problem of how do we deal with intellectual property like if we're from like a civilization building standpoint, like if we were going to say, okay, let's start over. How do we do intellectual property? It's really, it's really not, not a trivial problem because we want to, you know, empower the individual. We want to empower the individual to innovate, but we also want to, you know, not, you don't want to like make it so, you know, difficult for someone to, you know, capture value from their innovation that they're not incentivized to do it anymore. Right. Yeah. And that, you know, I think it's also worth mentioning that like intellectual property, what somebody might be looking for or like kind of the, the shelf life of some of these technologies, say, as an author versus as somebody that designs a, a piece of tech, you know, a piece of tech might only have value for a year or two. And that's its shelf life. Whereas if I write a book, that that intellectual property sh it should exist on a different plane. And I think that further convolutes the conversation a little bit. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's like not all intellectual property should be, you know, judged by the same standard in some sense. Um, because yeah, you want to you want to make sure that innovation is still possible. Um, yeah. And I mean, a book is something that it's pretty like you can cite someone from a book and write your own book. And that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. You're, you're totally, you're, you can be influenced. And it's funny because throughout history, some people deny their influences, um, but some, most people, you know, recognize the influences that other books had had on their writing and things like that. And I think that software is a tricky place because that's also true, right? Like it, we're building something together um, in a sense as a community. And that's what's kind of cool about the open source community. Yeah, um, we, is, we stand on uh, the shoulders of giants in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, yeah, we see, but yeah, in the open source community, we see that where people are building on each other and it allows innovation to happen quickly. Um, but then the battle is always, well, how do you capture the value of the innovation that allows you to innovate further and to make a real change in the world? Yeah, yeah. And um, that's been kind of the focus of the podcast is if the system that is around us isn't around anymore, what what are our alternatives and um, how can we frame them up based on our experiences in the modern era and how they can frame up a better, more equitable society? And I, I, I think about these things like you have this duality within technology or equipment or cars or whatever it is, any, any complex machinery that is both mechanical and technological. Uh, and they both kind of speak to this, what we were just talking about, intellectual property on a different uh, level where you have a, a mechanical piece that we have a very uh, understood language and understanding of what it means to own it. And then this technology, which has a different language, and now you're smashing them together, and it's hard to discern or to to try to identify how it's a unique thing mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily meet our understandings of one or the other because of the way we utilize it. Right. Well, that's so true that ownership is contextual based on, I guess, what you're working on, right? Like we, we like to say that we own land, right? But like if we pollute our land or especially pollute our waterways, like that will affect all of the land around it, right? And uh, I mean, we recognize that this is true, right? In communities, people have laws about what you can and can't, how you paint your house, right? Because they don't want someone to paint their house a weird color and it reduces the value of the nearby properties, right? So, so ownership is just something that's, it's such a tricky, tricky problem because it is kind of something that we've propped up in our society to make things work, right? Like ownership is not like a fundamental property. It really is something that, we, 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 you know, we believe in, um, in order to organize ourselves together. And the question is, like, is ownership useful when it comes to talking about software or not? And I think there's a sense in which it is useful, um, because, you know, you want, you want to be able to create something. And if you don't own that thing, it makes it harder to control it. Um, but, but in some sense, maybe the lack of control is what allows for innovation to blossom. So it, I think that really is an interesting thing to think about, like how, wh what type of ownership would make sense um, for, for, for software. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, it, like I, I keep going back to like the Netflix model, like even with Netflix, you pay for a service, but you don't own anything. Even if you buy something on, if you're, say you have Amazon Prime and you buy a movie and you have mm -hmm. that digital copy, you don't really own anything. You own unlimited access to that thing until that company doesn't exist. So you don't really own it. Right. So I guess it's it's crowdsourced in a sense, though. Yeah. It's and, a, a large group of people saying we all want access to this and... You know, for example, with with the tractors, if the software costs six thousand dollars, say that was crowdsourced with all, through all the farmers that want that, then that could be the open ecosystem for you know applications for these tractors. Is they say, all right, um, instead of six grand, this one's eight hundred dollars, and it does eighty percent of the function of the pr premier yeah, one. Like you know the what I mean? Farmers co-op version right, of software, right, or some something along those lines. But that yeah. would be the net the Netflix version of the John Deere tractor issue. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that is kind of what we're trying to build is we're trying to build, you know, not one solution for everyone, but a few different options. And we want to have, you know, an option for a small farmer that maybe doesn't have that much money. Um, but, you know, we want to find what are like the core functions that they need to get their job done and get back to work. Um, we want to be able to say, okay, your tractor is having a problem. We want you to, we want to empower you to get back to work as soon as possible and fix it yourself. If you so choose, right? Not every farm, some people might want to pay the dealership to fix their tractor. And that's totally fine as well. Like we, we want to find the people that feel like they don't have another option. I want to give them that option at a price that is like, basically makes sense to them in their operation and scale. Um, and then, you know, we have, there are larger farms, you know, like kind of like starting to get to where they are like an independent corporation of people. And for, so for those farms, they have different challenges, which is that they have a lot of equipment but they don't know like how to best allocate resources to manage all of them. And so for those farms, they would need more advanced solution to be able to, you know, look at all these tractors at the same time and figure out what's the most efficient use of my time to make these like tractors work well and don't break down. And maybe, you know, for which job, which tractor would make the most sense for that job. And I just think that there's so much that would be possible if we had access to the machines directly in an easy way for software, where anyone could say, oh, I have an idea on how to improve efficiency of the machine. And they could try that idea. And if farmers like it, they could buy it and use it. And I just think that would just be that kind of, like you said, like they would gain, they would be allowed to use the software at a subscription basis. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because it gives you more autonomy. Where like, if you buy something and then like you, we see this all the time where a company goes at, like, doesn't support the product anymore. And they had this expectation that the product was going to work for, for some amount of time and then support goes down and it's useless anyway. So it's kind of like a bit more, it's a bit more um, free in the sense that you can pay, agree to something for a fixed amount of time. And then, and then you, you know, you, at the end of that, then you can decide, is this worth, worth it to continue this or not? And then, yeah, there is that, that, that thing where, you know, with software, it's easier to scale. Yeah. So so it, so it gives that. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a trajectory that you feel like you see going in this um this space whether it's um the intellectual property issue of what John Deere or similar companies are doing or in terms of the DIY space of trying is there like a trajectory in either one that is um you know something worth talking about? Well, okay, so we see just in farming in general, we're seeing recently a lot of innovation with regards to like what types of data you can collect about your farm, right? So, and we've, we're also starting to see in the DIY space, people developing open source applications for collecting data on their farm, whether it be, you know, you want to get imagery data um, about, about your, your from way up and there, or you want to get some soil data or, or water information, um, and then in this case, machine data, which is what kind of we're focusing on and machines collect many different types of data. And so in the future, we're going to have this data, like it's, it's getting collected. And right now it's just large farms, but I think that in the future, it would make sense for a small farm to also collect that data um, for efficiency's sake. And if we're going to continue to farm for a long time here on the planet, we have to find ways of improving that efficiency. Um, so I think that we're going to see a bit of like a um, of a revolution in terms of 
you know, we've done, we've done science about agriculture for a long time. Statistics was invented for like, like certain areas of statistics were invented for agricultural study. So I think that we're going to see a new type of science being done about agriculture that's done not in specific experiments, but leveraging big data and analytics. And I want a solution like that to, to be not in the hands of like, the machine company, and then the seed company, and then the water company. I'd like to see if we're going to actually make a solution that helps everyone. That like the the company that's doing that should, in my in my eyes, be separate from the company that has a vested interest in selling a tractor or selling some seeds or selling some fertilizer. I think. It's kind of like in science, you have peer review where the person that's doing the experiment doesn't ideally doesn't have a financial interest in the results of the experiment. Their, 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 their financial interest is in getting the results right, not necessarily selling something else. So I, I, I'm excited to see that. I want that future to happen where, where you know the science is being done independently from the actual manufacturers that are building the equipment. I think that, you know, it's a, it's something that we're, like we're making progress on. I'm really excited to see where it goes. Um, it's, I'm re it's really exciting to see support from people like you and, and other communities that are interested in this topic. And, you know, I think that, that it can actually turn out to be really good um, for, for innovation and farming if we're able to get this technology right uh, in a way that really is, you know, open and allows for innovation because that's really what we're going to need to get through like this next wave of like population and, and we need to find yeah climate <laughs> change and population we need to find new ways of increasing efficiency and that requires you know everyone working together <laughs> on that problem it's going to yeah, be it's, really it's hard. a global problem it's not a you know just farmers have to deal with it it's yeah. So, I mean, if you're interested, if you want to like talk to me about this problem, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't get enough emails, unfortunately yet. So <laughs> until I get to the point that it's like, I can't manage it. Yeah. Just send me an email. Um, it's M S S W A N S O at calpoly.edu. Yeah. Like at this point, I'm just trying to do research on talking to farmers. And also if there's hackers out there that want to you know, like look at this like this hard problem i'd be really interested to like hear from those people awesome so if people are really into this and they want to learn more is there some place you want me to send them or do you have a website yep yep so if you want to learn about like our work right now it's not the most updated right now because like we, i'm kind of trying to i'm like working on this company thing right now you're busy open, i get it the open source stuff is still happening um and we're working on some open new open source tools and that you can find information about our open source work at tractorhacking.org. And yeah, if you want to just talk, if you want to talk to me, you can send me an email. My email is also on that website as well. Awesome. Cool. I yeah. have a question. Do you, do you like race tractors? <laughs> race tractors? Yeah. Have you ever seen a tractor race? <laughs> you know, we do have at Cal Poly because we're like a big ag school. We have at once a year, I don't think we had it this year because of, you know, the lockdown stuff, but people bring these big souped up tractors and they're really, uh, they're really interesting. Definitely not very fuel efficient, but they're That's cool. That's what I'm talking about. See, I do. You just want I to do burnouts in a no, tractor. I want, dude, the tractor races are crazy. They don't have, <laughs> have seatbelts on those things and they go far too fast. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. That's what the cages are for. Just toss yeah. one on the yeah. top. <laughs> Thanks so much. This was really interesting and. I'm sure we'll be in touch again. Yeah, thank you for your time. Keep up the good work. And um, I can't wait to see 
uh, what solutions you guys come up with, because I'm sure it's an interesting problem to work on. But again, there there is uh, so much value in the information and and um, the the work, the solutions that you, you will find. Yeah, I'm really looking. I'm really excited to see what we can do to you know improve improve farming. Right. Thank you guys so much. As always. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a review on iTunes, which heavily impacts our outreach to new listeners and helps us bring on new and exciting guests. We appreciate your support, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Elliot. This is Andy. With the Poor Pearls Almanac. Bye.